This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Let's talk about the price of things. You always hear that question. Will it affect the price of beer? Well, tomorrow, actually, we're going to be talking about the price of beer. But today we're talking about the price of absolutely everything that you could buy, anything that you could buy from retail and how prices are going to be affected by supply chains or the Suez Canal that was blocked for a long time, and that might sound ridiculous, but it, but it isn't. And then certainly look at how much more retail outlets can handle in what has been going on. Diane Brisebois is joining us, CEO of the Retail Council of Canada. Diane, thanks so much for being here. How are you? I think you explained it well. Uh, a lot of anxiety and frustration right now, especially with what uh, we're expecting to hear for Ontario. So tough times ahead. Yeah, there's another A word we can add, anxiety. We're going to add that to angst and anger. And I don't know how many other A words we can add, but we've got to be getting to a point where you've got retail outlets saying, okay, you know, how, how much longer you go back to december and it was okay we're going into the holidays you know what I'm, I'm just projecting ahead to the spring how many times did you hear from people who were who were just projecting ahead i'm i'm just going to not think about now i'm going to think about the future when i hope it's better well all right you know retailers are uh an opti- uh, optimistic lot but i gotta tell you there's not a lot of runway left of on that optimism as you remember, we talked about this. I mean, retailers in Ontario uh, and in specific regions, some of them were closed for over 100 days. And if you look at since the beginning of the pandemic, many of them were closed to for about six months. So hearing that they're going to be in lockdown for another four weeks is very worrisome. We worry about our small merchants, but now we're worried about all of our retail merchants, the non-essential, because there's very little cash left. And they've spent what they have because they've all been buying their spring and summer inventory. So they're going to be sitting with it. So it is it's quite concerning at this point in time. Diane, how have many of them been getting through? Because rents are not inexpensive. And you mentioned it. You've got to still buy supply and bring that supply in. So how have they been doing it to get through? Well, they've been doing it with amassing debt is what is of great concern. And that's why today we're really going to be pushing hard and calling on the Ontario government and the federal government to look at the different programs because there needs to be something to support the small, mid, and large retailers who have an enormous amount of you know, assets and expenses invested in the brick and mortar and even online. And people are just, especially with the stay-at-home order, that means people are going to buy less, need less, and so that's going to create ma- major problems. So, you know, um, forgivable loans with very low interest fees, uh, looking at the rent subsidy again so that the, the ceiling is a bit higher, so that it protects all of those, making sure there are no evictions, looking at municipal tax, energy costs, and, and making serious commitments to those businesses because we are the largest private employer in the country and in Ontario. 
So this is going to have a huge impact not only on retail, but a lot of other sectors. Diane Brisebois joining us, CEO of the Retail Council of Canada, because, sure, we can talk with the owners. Well, the owners employ other individuals, and those individuals are tied to each of those businesses in a great way. Diane, when we look to government, every once in a while we'll hear from, in this case, the Ontario government or the federal government, and they will have a program that is designed to assist that can pay. Uh, One of the most recent ones in Ontario was up to $20,000 to a retailer. You're never going to say, hey, you know, that that $20,000, nah, I don't need that. But does that come close to helping in in any way, or do we need to see larger monetary sums available from government? Well, look, we, we, we know, as, as you do, that governments have, you know, there is a, a bottom to the well, as they say. And the, uh, the grant in Ontario, for example, for small business, which was up to 40K recently, is extremely helpful. But now, with the extended lockdown, the impact is on small, mid, and then larger specialty retailers. And you're absolutely right. When we're, you know, maybe your listeners are saying, well, you know, they don't really need help. The impact they have, think about it. They're tenants in the malls, strip malls, regional malls, the big urban malls. So the malls and those who own those malls are affected. All of the contractors who do work on store renovation, building new stores, uh, the employees who are paid and then go shop somewhere else. And so it's a circle, and it starts affecting everybody. There may be a portion of the listeners who are not affected because of who they work for, but I can tell you this next lockdown is going to have a huge impact on many of us in Ontario, not just those of us who work in retail. Diane Breesbaugh joining us, CEO of the Retail Council of Canada. We're still going to get to supply chains and, and the price of things, but just one more item, and that is curbside pickup. We always hear that that is available. How much of a difference is that making, Diane? Well, it it does. It, it's a small lifeline, but with stay-at-home orders, it uh, it also discourages people to even do that. So that will be a challenge, and we're waiting for more information this afternoon to see what they mean by curbside pickup. Because in the past, in some cases, the rules have changed where you need an appointment, you couldn't line up outside a store. So until we get that information, and for those who still rely heavily on people visiting their stores, this is is going to be a small, small um, lifeline, but it is not uh, the solution. And as I said, this is critical because many retailers came out of the holiday season, most important season, with uh, a, a lockdown. And now this is also a huge season, spring and summer, where people buy clothing and shoes and the likes. And so um, we're, you know, I, I rarely sound the alarm, but we're absolutely concerned. And we need to work with the government to see if we can set up a, pro- a program uh, for loans to keep these businesses afloat. And again, loans will mean adding to the debt, and that becomes a challenge out the other side. Diane, before we go, even if someone is not involved in retail, you are, because we're all consumers. You've got to be a consumer. Yeah. 
And so we wonder about the cost of things, the price of things. What are you mm-hmm. hearing recently, whether it be the blockage of the Suez Canal or other supply chains? What's going to happen to certain products as we move forward? Well, you know, we started hearing about uh, concerns around shipping at the beginning of the pandemic and a bit different than what we're uh, hearing now because of the Suez Canal. But at the beginning, was because a lot of the factories around the world were shut down. So, in fact, the products weren't even getting onto the ships and into the containers. As we went further, things started slowly to get back to normal. But then, you know, we had weather issues and the likes, and then the Suez Canal hit, which made it worse. I think most people don't realize that 30% of the global shipping to the Suez Canal so when it was blocked for over a week, that literally shut everything down. And we already were told that there were lineups at the ports, meaning ships were standing by to even try to dock. So, you you know, it just escalated. And our retailers are telling us that their shipping costs have just gone through the roof. And that's for the products that they know they're getting. And now we're also hearing that some of the manufacturers who need the commodities who need the ingredients to make the products are not getting them either, which means at the end of the day that we could see shortages of some uh, very popular products and also increases in in prices. And any idea what some of those products might be? Well, it's certainly we're, we're hearing. You know, I can't confirm, but I think we can guess those products that are high in demand because um, of our lifestyle and what we've had to do to adapt to the pandemic. So food-related, so cereals, you know, um, flour, some baking goods, uh, those we are keeping a close eye, toilet paper, cleaning supplies, all of those. But we also are hearing about, you know, apparel and shoes, furniture, electronics, exercise equipment, So the list goes on, and I mean, I know you're familiar with that list because those are the things we've all been talking about during the pandemic, but certainly uh, we're keeping a very close eye on those products. Diane, thank you so much for all of the information today. Please keep safe and keep up the good fight in all of this. Well, and and thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Diane Brisbois, CEO of Retail Council of Canada. So how have retailers been getting through this? Well, they've been getting through it by adding to their debt levels. And how much more can you add? What are we going to find out? And this next four weeks or whatever it is, it's just another one of those refreshers for all of us to say, okay, if I need to buy something, if I am going to be a consumer of fill-in-the-blank, i got to find somebody local to get it from. You can't go and just say, yeah, but it'll be here in a day if I just go online and pop it in. And Yeah, we've got to do it local. We've got to do it local. Let's look at this. Let's look at the situation that we're going to be in officially in about an hour. We've got stay-at-home orders coming. We have dribs and drabs of what those are going to mean. But overall, is it going to mean much if you can't go down a certain aisle in a big box store? That'll mean a lot to retailers, I hope. 
because otherwise people are just going to go there instead of going to a local hardware store or they are going to go and pick up something instead of going to a local merchant. We really need to help out the local merchants. It'll never hit what they need, but any little bit is going to help right now. So I think we need to vent. I really do. Venting is healthy. It's a healthy thing. We're expecting these stay-at-home orders. How do you think people are going to react? How are you feeling? How are you going to react? We can open the phones right now, 519-643-2222. You can email mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at stubs980. We've got a lot of things to get to already in terms of reaction, but let's go to the phones. Let's say hi to Scott. Scott, how do you think people are going to react to whatever it is that we're going to hear? Because we know it's all under the umbrella of stay at home. Hi, Mike. How are you? Not too bad. Good. Um, I work in a job where I see a lot of people every day, and I can already tell you, people have had enough. They're venting to me. I'll vent to you. I agree people need to vent about this. We're doing the same thing with the same result, and it doesn't make any difference. But the difference, I think, this time is people have had enough. They're not going to do it. I said it at Christmas, I believe I called your show before Christmas, and I told you people are getting together for Christmas, and they did. And they've had enough. They're not going to do it. I know, personally, I'm not going to do it. I just, so it, it's enough. Scott, if we look at what sorts of things that people might not be wanting to do obviously you're not going to be able to go and shop inside retail outlets but what do you think it's going to be do you think it's going to be the gathering aspect of this that we have to be concerned about people are going to gather the weather's getting nicer people are going to gather people are going to do what they want regardless you know he he can he can shut down the stores or make it curbside whatever um all to me all he's doing is putting more people out of business i've i've lost two more customers this week um that are just they're done they can't they can't survive anymore how are you doing in making it through i i'm fine you know um i find it frustrating watching everyone else when i when i watch my small business owners um you know they're at their store they can't they can't be open but yet they look across the road to uh to a walmart that's selling the same thing as them and but they can't be open um I, I just think that everyone's frustrated. I think everyone's had enough, and I think you're going to see a huge pushback this time, and people just aren't going to do it. Scott, thanks so much for the call. Keep safe. Thank you. 519-643-2222. Take the opportunity to vent. We're expecting to get the stay-at-home orders officially from the province in less than an hour from now. It'll outline what everything is. Maybe we do have changes to how big box stores are operating and I don't know how much of that is solace now for anybody who is competing against them in retail, but how do you think people are going to react? Chris says, angry. What's changed since last week, especially considering whatever is currently happening is because of things a week or two ago. There are also enough areas that are not hot spots that are being penalized already. Why not try two weeks and extend if there is no change. Too many mixed messages. The red zone is different than the last red zone. This lockdown will be different than the last lockdown. Yeah, Chris, you you sum it up nicely. You really do. In terms of 
a lot of mixed messaging. And I think the Premier, in a way, addressed that yesterday, saying things are changing by the hour, changing by the minute. Give it whatever time stamp you want. Things are changing. So what we... You know, what we have here is an opportunity to, you know, try and and curtail what is going on, but it only works if people are willing to do it. And Scott's not optimistic that they will be. Marilyn, we always count on you for optimism. Are you optimistic that people are going to do what is asked of them this time around? Well, I've got a daughter and son-in-law who have a small business in your town of St. Thomas. And you know what their business is, the catering business. Well, they've lost weddings, big wedding receptions, and so forth. So they're counting on, or they've been counting on takeout food. And their food, I'm telling you, it's just tops. And they came up Easter Sunday, and with their my little granddaughter, I hadn't seen them in a long, 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 long time. And they filled up my, uh, the freezer part of my fridge with their food. And I'm telling you, it's just tops. But, you know, these box stores, I'm just getting sick of it, but they can stay open, and the little businessman loses out. Now, my yeah. father was in the patent wallpaper business, and he had a, he would be called a small businessman because, well, he was small to begin with, but anyways, tiny, but anyways, um, we had a business in the basement of our home, and he sold paint and wallpaper and brushes and turpentine and so forth. Well, he'd be losing out, too. But anyways, I really feel very, very sorry. I'm sorry I can't be optimistic, but if you'd like, I can tell you a joke. <laughs> All right, if, if it's a quick one, Marilyn, maybe we All need right. it in the middle of this conversation. Right, honey. Father to mother, after looking at their son's school grades, well, at least this report card proves he isn't any on any mind-expanding drugs. <laughs> Marilyn, you have a great afternoon. Thanks for the call. Dear, bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. Back to the phones we go with Lawrence. Lawrence, how do you think people are going to react? Well, um, I think people are going to be upset. Um, um, and um, they should be upset, but... I don't think they should be upset with the government. I think they should be upset with the people that can't follow the rules. Um, it's very simple. Wear a mask and social distance. And um, it's because of those people that, that, uh, that we're in the situation we're in. Um, if they would follow the rules, it wouldn't be as bad as it is. And because people aren't, it is as bad as what it is. Um, I know... People aren't going to follow, aren't going to follow the, this this lockdown because they're fed up. But they shouldn't be upset with the government. They should be upset with the people that aren't following the rules. Um, I, I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, I, I'm going to be upset if I see people now because it's starting to affect me in a, in a negative way. I'm I'm going to be upset with when I see somebody that isn't following the rules. And and now I'm just going to voice my opinion right in their face because because it's, it's a, they're affecting me. And they could be affecting other people and getting other people sick and, and killing other people. So it's those people I think we should focus on and not anything else. Lawrence, thanks so much for the thoughts. I think you summed up how a lot of people are feeling. Thank you. Have a great day. And, you know, if 
if we did, and Lawrence outlined it, the rules are not difficult. This is something that spreads more easily than the flu. We were told that this time around last year, in March when all of this began. So here's what you do. You stay apart, you wash your hands, you wear a mask if you can, and you don't go to large gatherings. And if that happens, then we don't have transmission. It's as simple as that. You cut down on transmission. And we can wish away that we were this country or that country where things are back to normal. Well, obviously, we haven't been able to do that. You know, we we have not been able to do that. And it's not it's not a majority that is causing the issue. Otherwise, we would be in a worse state than what we are. But it's enough of a minority that you see numbers grow. You have concerns over ICUs filling up. In London now, we've got people from Thunder Bay, we've got people from Toronto who are in our ICU because they don't fit in Thunder Bay and Toronto anymore. We don't want to get to that point. Back to the phones, 519-643-2222. We can go to Oscar. Oscar, how are you feeling? Hey, how are you, Mike? Thank you. Uh, uh, feeling anxious, uh, feeling uh, a lot of unknown, especially with the kid, for the kids uh, seeing their next summer being ruined if we have a fourth wave. Uh <laughs> If and uh, and I, I was listening to your uh, to your uh, uh, the people who called before, and uh, I'm sorry, but you, I, I will blame the government, not the government. Like, I'm sorry, I may not have, I should not say this, but I mean, when you have a premier that that calls and says, "Please, folks, do the right thing." Hello, didn't you not know that there were idiots out there not following their rules last year? You can't say, please, folks, follow the, follow the rules and do the right thing. What's the right thing? You have to enforce the rules. So we become the Australia or the, the New Zealand or, or the first world country that we, sh- we, we are, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, to ask someone, please, it can work. But, again, we can trace everybody back to when they were four years old. There are people who are going to listen to a rule and say, I will be a rule follower. I will do that. Then there are those who, for whatever reason, decide not to. And, yeah, you you can't say please to somebody who is going to say, oh, you mean there really aren't any consequences other than you'll give me a stern look? Then I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You're right. That exists. So how do you combat that? And the government continues to walk a tightrope of, well, we don't want to tick people off, but at the same time, we've got to we've got to take some measures here. They've all started with please, but yeah, when does please end, Oscar? That's a great question. It it, it should have end the moment you have a, a we're the third wave, fourth wave is in the air already. What is this? Is this just a game that? Uh, you're, you, what side of the game you don't understand? The rules of the game are described. When when are you going to come on board and start reading the rules and follow them so you can play the game properly? You know what the rules are. You follow them. Then you are in the game with everybody else, same level. So we all win. We, we, we are a population that wins because we all follow the rules that are described in the box that you could just look at. It. And they're not very hard like your last caller said. They're very simple. They're just rules. You follow them. Everyone does. And the ones that don't follow, they follow out of the game. They have to feel the consequences of not following the rules. Therefore, they lose something. 
and that's that's the game. Canada is well known by by their hockey. Don't you know the <laughs> rules of hockey already? And and can you not play the game? Like hockey is, is in, invested in, in Canada. I don't know. I'm just looking at the perspective of sports. Like, Love the analogy. Why are you not playing it? It's very simple. Like, if you don't know the rules, ask for help. There's help out there. The government's trying to help on that, but you're still going to have players in, within your family or in your family or in your your cohort that that will debate the rules. They won't like them, but they're there for you to play it. They're they're not there for you to judge at this point. You may want to play another game. Well, yeah, go to Brazil and live there and see if you can play not only the COVID game, but they're, they're living in Brazil game. Uh, they have their own game. Go fly there and live there. Then, then you have your, your game there. You're not going to be able to play. Is, is it better that Brazil, Brazil is better than here for, for the people who don't follow the rules because they're free there? Their, their freedom and their, their president follows the freedom and, and he doesn't care about masking or anything like that. Is it better there? Then go there and play that, that game. See if you, can, if you win there. I don't think so. But it's just very frustrating at this point, to be honest. Oscar, great examples. Love the analogy. And you know what? Yeah, Brazil's leader has said, yeah, do whatever you want. And look at what they're dealing with with that P1 variant. And look at their case counts. Take a look at their statistics. It is a scary, scary place to the point that neighboring countries are incredibly worried and have been for weeks. Oscar, really appreciate the call today. Keep safe. Thank you. 519-643-2222. Back to the phones with Jesse. Jesse, what do you have for us? How do you think people are going to feel about this? Well, I feel that much like many of your callers, there's no respect for Queens Park because he didn't listen to his doctors. He might have listened to his hand-picked doctor, but he didn't listen four weeks ago when they warned him this new variant is out, it's coming, and yet Ford opened things up. So I think by his actions, forget the fact that he's not the greatest orator in the world. I don't hold that against him because he's trying to be the common man. That's fine. But he's not a leader. So when people break the rules, which I do not advocate, it's often it's because what are the rules? They keep changing. I don't respect the leader because he's not a leader. There is so much pent-up frustration that I could voice that you don't have time for. <laughs> But the point is, there's a void in leadership. And I have faith in the Ontario people that they're going to do the right thing, but I have no faith that they're going to do what Ford asked them to do. They're going to do what they decide is best for them. And I have faith that they're going to make the better decision. So it's a charade when he comes out with his press conference. It's something for the media to cover. But he didn't listen to the doctors four weeks ago. So this is on him. It's more on him than it is for when he complains that people are not following the rules. If he had some respect from people, they would listen to him. But that's really, uh, I appreciate time to say that. Hey, it is, it's a place to vent and share how you're feeling. And Jesse, thanks for doing exactly that. Have a good day. You too. 519-643-2222. Let's say hi to Dominic. Dominic, how do you think people are going to feel? How you doing, Mike? I'm doing uh, all right. Right. I'm a delivery driver in the city. I deliver food and other products. Thank day. you for doing that. My biggest problem 
is with these shutdowns is for a guy like me to find a bathroom <sighs> is extremely difficult. I can't even imagine. I mean, Dominic, we've talked about this before, just being out for a relaxing walk when all of a sudden, eh, nature calls, where do you go anymore? I can't imagine if you are not just out for a walk for an hour or so, if you're going through an entire work day. So how do you manage it? Uh, <laughs> you'd be surprised. <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of restaurants that we go into that allow us to use their facilities, although they are closed, but a lot of them don't. A lot of Tim Horton restaurants, for example, you walk into, the bathrooms are closed. You can't get in them. What do you do? I don't know. And I don't see with the stay-at-home orders coming into effect in now about 37 minutes, or at least later on tonight is when they'll officially come into effect. I don't see it changing. You're right. I mean, this is something that from the beginning of the pandemic, has it not been an issue? It's always been an issue. Uh, But... If you get creative, you do find the odd ones that are around, but sometimes you're not at that end of the city. <laughs> you know I mean? You're another end of the city where every Tim Hortons you walk into or every restaurant you walk into, the bathrooms are closed. Yeah. But you find the back of a mall somewhere and you do your business. Yeah. You got to go. Unbelievable. Go. Well, I mean, and, and was this an issue before the pandemic began as well? Were you noticing fewer and fewer ways to, to you know, find no. a public washroom? No. It was easy. Gas stations, uh, Tim Hortons, uh, most restaurants will allow you to use their washrooms. It was, it was not a problem. Now with these lockdowns and these pandemic restrictions, although they are necessary, I don't blame the premier. Uh, it's getting more difficult for guys like myself, couriers, uh, delivery drivers, postal workers, policemen, to find a facility. Well, Dominic, I really appreciate you taking the time to raise that issue because it's one that we do have to get into to a greater degree, but I've got it on the list here. Uh, hopefully today's an easier day from that standpoint, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Without you, uh, our life is not as, as good a place, so thanks. Well, I miss you a lot in London on uh, the night. I hope you get back to that soon, uh, although I do miss the night. It gave me something to listen to while I was in the car. But I do have my Blue Jays now, so I'm good. We've got Blue Jays coming on your radio in 35 minutes. See if they can win this series against Texas. Dominic, have a great day. All right. Time for one more call, and let's go to Sharon before we go to break. Sharon, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Can you hear me? I sure can. How do you think people are going to feel? Well, you know what? I'm a small business owner, and what am I feeling? Oh, butterflies, fluttering, um, a whole bunch of things. But most of all, you know, when you're talking, some of your other callers there, and I totally agree with them, that it's it's the people that don't believe in this thing that is so frustrating. I don't think we should just blame the government. Uh, The government has been doing... I think a heck of a lot for many people, as you and I both know, there's a lot of people that sat out there collecting CERB and, you know, there's a hope making more money on CERB than they did at their job. But it's just what bothers me more. It's here I am as a small business. And I said, I really think I should go out and buy some bananas, apples, oranges, 
get some food and jam and whatever, but you know, that's not the answer. The answer is people doing what they're asked to do. I wouldn't like Ford's job. I mean, all of there's so many people complain about it, but how many of them go out there and say, I'm going to do what I want to do? There's the like question. What, yeah, I'm going to do what I want to do. Like, I'm so sick of these people that are, they don't want to follow rules. Hey, maybe I'm older. I'm very, I'm, I've already had my shot, so that tells you that I'm older. But I haven't had the second one. I can hardly wait for that in July. But uh, what the frustrating is, is maybe some of us that are older, we've raised many of these people so that they can do what they want to do, when they want to do it, and how they want to do it. But it's time for so many of them to realize they are the ones that are going to make the difference for God's sake, for our sake, and for your parents' sake and your kids' sake. Teach them that it is okay to listen to the government. It's not easy for them. I mean, how would you like to be in Ford's position or in Trudeau's? I mean, I wasn't a fan of either one of them in the beginning, <laughs> but I sure have appreciated what they've done or what they're tr- attempting to do. They're tough shoes, that's for sure. Yeah, they are. So uh, that's just my frustration, but here we go again. So here we go looking for new ways to keep our customers. I guess I would say for the customers, I feel sorry for the people that can't get out. They're all on their own. They're sitting at home. So I personally have been doing some Facebook events, face our, yeah, Facebook events, to just entertain them more than anything. And that's the part, is those people that are sitting at home or that can't do anything and they can't see their family. Sharon, thanks so, so much for the call. Really appreciate right. those thoughts. And you stay Take safe. care. Okay, you bye. stay safe as well. As we said, this is Green Shirt Day. But we have a lot of organ donation that has been going on across the country, certainly locally, with what has been going on at London Health Sciences Center. And we're lucky enough to have with us right now Dave Cowan. And Dave is an organ recipient. And Dave, I want to thank you for taking some time to speak with us today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Let's let's tell your story. Um, take us back to when things began that led to you being an organ recipient. Okay. Um, well, it started back when I was about 23. Uh, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and uh, kind of hit me under the blue. I was in excellent shape at the time. I was working out and looked fine, but Something um, something happened, and I got this type 1 diabetes. So uh, throughout time, uh, the diabetes caused a lot of damage in different areas of my body, and one of the areas that it caused damage was my kidneys. Um, so I already had the, the pancreas was already um, an issue, I guess, and then like it wasn't working, and then the kidneys failing, uh, I had to go on dialysis. So that happened uh, about two years ago, and uh, so I was on dialysis for about 14 months. And then through that process, I found out of the, this double transplant that I could possibly get. And uh, so I had to go through a bunch of tests and uh, different things for the heart to make sure that I was in shape to have a transplant in the first place. And, uh, yeah, once everything worked out, um, I got the call to come in and have it done. What is it like to go into 
that kind of a surgery knowing, hey, I'm going through a, a pretty serious procedure here and you're going to have someone else's organs put into your body? Uh, it was kind of a, a strange, I guess, in a sense, a strange kind of feeling thinking about that, that somebody else's um, misfortune, uh, some other family's pain, it was going to be my blessing. Um, but I think through it all, like I had a lot of time to think as it led up to it. Um, a lot of the doctors and stuff that I met with and surgeons and nurses uh, kept me confident. Uh, my family kept me confident. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, I did a lot of research on it and stuff like that to see if there's how high a risk it was. And um, in general, everything sounded good. I mean, and, and the way I was heading with dialysis and the kidney failure and diabetes, there was no um, happy ending there. So going into it, I was really positive. I've stayed positive through it all. I've had a very supportive family, um, my wife and two children in particular, and uh, then the support system from the doctors. So I felt pretty good going in. I mean, the common nerves that anybody would have going into a surgery like that. But uh, all I wanted to do, was, all I wanted to do, was make it through that surgery. That was kind of the the thing. And then the the recouping is was kind of to me was going to be nothing as, compared to just getting through that surgery. But we're talking with Dave Cowan, and Dave is an organ recipient through the London Health Sciences Center. Dave, you mentioned double transplant. So what organs did you receive? So I received um, one pancreas. So the old pancreas is still inside of me, but my actual pancreas, and they put a new one in. And then I've also received a kidney. So my original two kidneys that aren't working are still in my body, but there's a new one in there as well. So there's a kidney and a pancreas. Okay. And coming out of surgery, you mentioned you wanted to get through the surgery. What has the recuperation and the rehab been like for you? It's been really good, actually. Like, right from the, about the second day being after surgery, like post-op, um, they had me up and walking around. Um, I was swollen. They, they pump a lot of fluid into you during the surgery. So I think I was about 25 pounds of fluid on my body. So that was originally difficult um, walking and stuff because you can't breathe as easily uh, with all that kind of fluid on your your legs and your upper body and kind of your arms and everywhere but um each day got better and better um i'm fully walking around now like no problem my my son and i go for about a kilometer to two kilometer a day walk and it's only been my surgery was march 3rd uh, so it's been just barely a month and uh like i've been home for i was only in the hospital for one week which i think is kind of i don't know if it's a record but I mean, it was faster than they, than they thought it was going to be because um, I progressed so well myself. And uh, I'm feeling great right now. I mean, I can't do everything that, that I want to do. They, there's still limitations for the first few months um, with lifting and things like that. So I'm just as long as I'm listening to the doctor um, and uh, kind of obeying their rules of what to do, I think that I'll be doing great. Dave, when did your surgery take place? That uh, was March 3rd, so like um, just, just over a month. Yeah. So, and and this happened during a pandemic as well. How right. much did that kind of affect how you were feeling? Um, well, I've been nervous about that because I know with having a compromised immune system, um, we've been very careful right from the start of COVID uh, to basically not go in public as much as we can. We've had to make sacrifices with uh, friends and, and family and stuff to not be visiting as much just in case because anybody with a lower immune system obviously is uh, or a compromised immune system is going to be at higher risk of more serious complications typically with COVID. So, um, yeah, we've made some of those sacrifices. My kids in particular have had to make those sacrifices with friends and not being able to be social 
um, with friends. And I, you know, like I said, I've got a supportive family that would, that understands my children are 10 and 12 and, and, uh, to have to go through that for them is more difficult than what I'm going through in my opinion. So, uh, I always just kind of put things into perspective that way and try to stay positive and, um, yeah, it made it made a little bit of it made it harder. My family couldn't be up there during the surgery. They couldn't come visit me in the hospital. But like I said, I always just put the shoe on the other foot and think there's a lot of people that have it worse out there that aren't doing as well as me. So I just try to stay positive that way. Dave, we need to bottle your outlook. We absolutely do and hand it around to anybody who needs it. We're talking with Dave Callen. Dave is an organ recipient through London Health Sciences Center and just had the surgery on March the 3rd, so we're looking at a little over a month. After you come through transplant surgery, what are you told about things like your prognosis? Uh, well, they follow up. Like I've been going to a clinic up there. You start off by going twice a week, um, and they monitor. You get blood work done. You go up and meet the, uh, it's Dr. Luke is his name, and Dr. O'Ferney is the other doctor uh, that did the surgery. So you meet with them each time, and they, you know, they check out your incision and check for infections, and they do, like I said, the blood work and uh, urinalysis and stuff like that to, just to keep an eye on um, different levels. I couldn't tell you what they all are, but different levels of the medication that they, if they have to tweak stuff so that you don't get rejection happening. So they follow you very closely, and then so it's twice a week for quite a while and then it goes to once a week and so on as they feel that you're you're progressing uh, well and then like I said if it, if it looks like something is happening um, they can tweak things to so that that rejection doesn't happen so I mean it's been they're very professional very um, I felt very comfortable that way and they also have a, a line that you can call any time of the day kind of thing to to uh, ask questions if you have something going on so I felt uh, great support from that end. And I guess as a final question, I know you're still dealing with surgery from a little over a month ago, but overall, how are you feeling? Is it a different feeling? Do you feel better? Oh, yeah, I feel much better. Um, anybody I've talked to on the phone has said, do you sound better? Like I, Before, I was really weak and always out of breath and like just, you know, I wouldn't say I felt like death, but I mean, I felt like pretty, pretty bad. And, and now it's like my wife said she wants to put a brick on my head because she's trying to slow me down because I'm almost doing too much like I said I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to get to the point where I'm back to a normal guy again but the doctors also don't want me pushing it too hard at the start here like so it's only been a month and they said you know what it takes several months to really fully recoup so yeah wife wants to put a brick on the head but I'm trying to be as active as I can without pushing it Dave, you're a reason why we all need to make sure we have gone or do go to beadonor.ca. This this is what it is all about. Thanks so much for sharing your story. Glad you're feeling better. Keep feeling better and uh, watch out for bricks, especially you know <laughs> if you fall asleep at night or something like that. That's a prime time to you know set one of those bricks down. So sleep with one eye open. All right. <laughs> Thank Take you care of yourself. You too. Take care. Bye bye. That's Dave Cowan. Dave is a transplant recipient, and to tie it into everything else, you know what I'm going to say, and I'm going to say it. For the last year, Dave has had a compromised immune system. Dave has been on a transplant list. Dave has been wondering whether or not he was even going to get a transplant and what that mean might mean for him if he didn't. Dave and his family have been able to follow the rules that's it. Dave and his family have been able to follow the rules. Kids 10 and 12 haven't been all that pleased about not seeing their friends, not being able to go out in public. But in the end, it has been worth it to this point. And they're still not going out in public, and they're still not seeing friends. 
and they've been able to do it. Why? Because Dave needed a transplant. And yet we have people who say, can't do it anymore. Why? Why? How come you can't do it anymore? There's not that much longer, but Dave's a perfect example why we can all still do it a little longer. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.